Sometimes, those who get cancelled predict their own fall. They tempt fate because to risk cancellation usually means to incite infamy. Some look for hatred and then brandish it as their weapon, say or do something abhorrent, endure the criticism, and then cry that they're under attack from the feral woke mob. But in the case of Jimmy Carr, it's more complex. Comedy is always a dance with the devil. Sometimes, inevitably, you cross the line. To be a comedian is to be a shapeshifter. From entertainer to polemicist and back again. But then he crossed a line too far. And the backlash was a stain that wouldn't come out. Welcome to Cancelled. I'm your host, Leah Davis, and this is the show when we look back at some of the biggest and most bizarre attempts to cancel people, corporations, and even countries. You may think the subject of our very rigorous and academic study deserve public disdain. You may think it's all a gross injustice, but it doesn't matter because all of them were judged in the court of public opinion and ultimately canceled. Jimmy Carr is part of the glitterati of British comedy, but the higher you climb, the harder the fall. Of course, comedy exists to push boundaries, but when does it cross a line? And how, exactly, can you come back from a joke that universally was condemned as making light of one of the darkest chapters of our history? It's December 2021. A new Jimmy Carr Netflix special, hotly anticipated, has just dropped. Titled, His Dark Material. It promises to match the style on which Carr has built his career. Controversial, gallows humour, delivered deadpan with an arch sensibility and the occasional wry smirk. Such is Carr's penchant for insult that he has multiple compilations on his YouTube channel titled Riskiest Jokes. Each compilation has millions of views. Based on profile, online hits and money, he is at the peak of his career. Carr is a wind-up merchant, but aren't all comedians. A basic function of comedy is to eschew barriers while sometimes offending people. But are there some things that are truly off-limits? Carr, who had tested this concept for so long, was about to take another crack at it. The special is exactly that. Entirely car-centric. He owns the stage like a minister at the pulpit. Pitch black, lights illuminating him as he confidently delivers what he deems some of his riskiest material yet. He starts light. Covid, conspiracy theories, the huge death count. This is Carr arguably at his best taking something morbid, a shared experience and shared trauma that everyone can relate to and allowing his audience to prod fun at it with him. From there, the humour gets more targeted. Obesity, vegans, dwarfism, ginger people. It's rapid fire and whatever you think of the content displays Carr's dexterity and command of his material. He moves between subjects so quickly without breaking a sweat, often involving the audience and circling back to gags he's made five minutes before. Carr tells a series of jokes of varying offence, testing out which will come closest to getting him cancelled. The title of the special, His Dark Material, a provocation to the audience. Nearing the end, Carr warns, quote, This should be a career ender, okay? Strap in, everyone. You ready? End quote. He delivers his next joke, quote, When people talk about the Holocaust, he begins, setting the tone for what is to follow. There are a few groans from the audience, Whatever is about to come can't be good or comfortable. Quote, When people talk about the Holocaust, 
They talk about the tragedy and horror of six million Jewish lives being lost to the Nazi war machine. But they never mention the thousands of gypsies that were killed by the Nazis. No one ever wants to talk about that, because no one ever wants to talk about the positives. End quote. In the room, there are reactions ranging from shocked gasps to clapping and applause. But in the theatre, there is no immediate sense that he has crossed a line. At the start of the special, Carr had given the audience a preface, which he described as a trigger warning. Quote, Tonight's show contains jokes about terrible things, terrible things that may have affected you and the people that you love. But these are just jokes. They are not the terrible things. End quote. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We're a new show breaking down the anime and pop culture news you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to (laughs) pretend that I don't right now. Hold it in, hold it. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) And we agree on some things, but not on everything. Oof. I remember, what was that? <laughs> say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. Listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. If you're looking for a smoking gun, I can absolutely guarantee you, you will not find it. In October 2001, a series of letters filled with a deadly powder called anthrax were dropped into the U.S. mail system. What started as an unprecedented case turned into an unsettling mystery. Who sent these deadly letters, and why? From Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, I'm Josh Dean, and this is Cover Up Season 4, The Anthrax Threat, available now. After the joke about the Roma community, and it's important to stress that the term is Roma, not Gypsy, he added an attempted justification. The long and short of that justification? He said it was, quote, edgy as hell, and the joke had educational quality, because it supposedly served to remind people that Jews, whilst killed in millions, were not the sole victims of the horrors of the Holocaust. For Carr, he thought he was covering his bases, but the wider public had a different view. In a backlash that spread from social media to number 10 Downing Street, Carr was right about one thing. His career in edgy humor was, itself, on the edge. What is it about British humor that sets it apart? It's how unforgiving it can be. Like other aspects of British society, politics, a sense of self-deprecation, a performative apathy, it can be loaded and often brutal. Jimmy Carr is a child of that tradition, though not an obvious one. He grew up in a strict Irish Catholic household, a faith he himself held until the age of 26. After a corporate job, he found his way to comedy. As his faith in God diminished, he served at the altar of stand-up. Early in his career, audiences delighted as Carr delivered dry, scathing lines without breaking character. He echoed Jack D, Ricky Fulton, and other British comedy greats. He cut his teeth on the live comedy circuit. Before long, he found his way to the home of edgy comedy and adult humor, Channel 4, where he was the host of Distraction and Your Face or Mine. From there, his profile rocketed. In 2005, he took the helm of British panel show, Eight Out of Ten Cats, a series in which his name became synonymous. 
a statistics-based game show featuring comedian and celebrity lineups. It continues to run to this day, and whilst the panelists have changed, Carr's stewardship has remained constant since his debut. Amidst his television success, he continues to perform stand-up. Even when it may not be financially lucrative, he hammers away at his craft, gigging consistently. This commitment is the commitment of a comics comic. And with that continuous gigging, he doesn't hide or alter his style of humor. His jokes mock religion, abortion, even Stephen Hawking. Some are inevitably offended, but it never seems to dent his success. And crucially, he never apologizes. He digs his heels in and he says, that's comedy. As he says, he makes jokes about terrible things, but jokes are not themselves terrible things. Jimmy Carr isn't just part of British comedy, but through his hosting of a popular panel show, he is at the helm of it. Then, in 2012, something else happens that damages not only his public persona, but his credibility. Carr's involvement in an alleged tax avoidance scheme is brought to light by journalists at The Times. The scheme was called K2. Here's how it worked. Basically, UK employees based in Britain and paying tax to the Exchequer would quit their jobs, then they'd sign a new employment contract with an offshore shell company based in Jersey, which has a lower tax rate than the rest of the UK. Carr and others involved were using dodgy means to avoid paying their fair share of tax. As soon as it looks like the rich and powerful are finagling their taxes, public opinion can change very quickly. The outcry is huge. Even then, Prime Minister David Cameron calls Carr out. Quote, People work hard, they pay their taxes. Cameron says. They save up to go to one of his shows, they buy the tickets, he has taken the money from those tickets, and as far as I can see, is putting all of that into some dodgy tax-avoiding schemes." End quote. It's worth noting for the record that Mr. Cameron's father was also involved in a later tax-avoidance scandal known as the Panama Papers, but we'll leave that to another show. The scandal was made worse by Carr's previous material. In a programme aired just months before, he'd lampooned people who avoided tax, calling Barclays bankers who paid 1% tax on earnings as immoral. Charges of hypocrisy add to the voices already calling him out for his underhanded dealings and guileless dishonesty. As the fallout spirals, Carr does something he tends to avoid. He apologizes. It was, he says, a terrible error in judgment. The episode of 8 out of 10 Cats, in which he addresses the scandal, sees almost double ratings in the previous week. Was his career over? Certainly not. He does what he does best. He incorporates it into his act. He implements the scandal into his gigs. He references it during his shows. And what's more, he lets other comedians take the mickey out of him for it too. Because Carr understands, deeply and crucially, that when people are laughing, they're rarely shouting. Of course, there's a time when people stop laughing. And sometimes they look back and feel a little misled. I'm willing to bet a lot of people in that auditorium the night of Jimmy Carr's Netflix special felt all kinds of feelings that had nothing to do with laughter. Media analysis around the joke itself was widespread and aligned itself with public anger. For the Roma community in Britain, gaining parity of esteem with other marginalized groups has been an uphill struggle. Much of this is to do with lasting stereotypes linked and reminiscent of those that led to their treatment in the Holocaust. This is a community that has more representation in poverty porn reality shows than MPs in the House of Commons and they are so often fair game for a braying tabloid press who regularly report stories of, quote, out-of-control travellers terrorising regular British families, end quote. 
from the Daily Mail in 2022. For much of that community, this joke did nothing but insult. Following the car scandal, members of the Roma community in Britain tried to prosecute the comedian for inciting racial hatred. They failed. For all Carr might say his jokes served to educate, did it? Or is Carr's brand of comedy a style that relies on hateful rhetoric, reheated and lazily delivered for a cheap laugh and some shock value? We all have questions that keep us up at night. The self-help industry tells us they have answers. As a journalist and a skeptic, I'm not so sure. So I've set out to talk to people who have gone to radical lengths to find answers. I'm Catherine Rowland. From Something Else and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Seeking. On season one, we're diving deep into the portal of plant medicine and psychedelics. Listen to Seeking wherever you get your podcasts. What if you could become stronger, more resilient, cure disease, and all you have to do is get naked in the cold and breathe? You get into ice water, and instead of, like, freaking out, you relax. It's called the Wim Hof Method, and Gwyneth Paltrow and Justin Bieber love it. I do the ice plunge because it's good for your body. But there's also a dark side. How many people have died doing the Wim Hof Method? We can override even death! Listen on the podcast Infamous. That's Infamous, playing now. David Baddiel is a comedian and has written eloquently and at length on Jewish identity in comedy and society in his best-selling book, Jews Don't Count. As a close friend of Carr's, he offered this analysis on the aftermath. Quote, You can obviously tell a Holocaust joke that is cruel and inhumane and mean-spirited and racist. Or you can tell one that targets the oppressors or draws attention to the fundamental evil of it or shines a light on the humanity of the victims. End quote. He calls Carr's jokes indefensible. Regardless of scandal, outrage inevitably dissipates. Public anger begins to evaporate and the news cycle moves on. Carr's offending joke was cut from his special. The show remains on Netflix. He has refused to apologize, saying in the days following the scandal that he was, quote, going down swinging, end quote. He continues to host 8 out of 10 cats, and whilst his reputation is doubtless damaged, it looks as though he's managed to cling on. On the scale of comedian cancellations, it seems as though Carr has gotten off relatively lightly. As he managed to do following the tax avoidance fiasco, his policy of just sticking around and hoping people forget works a trick. But why? Isn't the golden rule of comedy to punch up, not down? In the past few years, a social consciousness has shifted, and what detractors term as wokeism has instilled new standards in public life, an analysis of British comedy has taken place. Little Britain, seen as an iconic British comedy, is now looked on as endemic of the condition. Chock full of racist stereotypes, classist tropes, homophobia, it was outrageously popular at a time when outrage was a moneymaker. Now it has been taken off streaming services. The show's stars, David Walliams and Matt Lucas, have apologised for the content, particularly one recurring sketch which involves them donning blackface. They still get stick on social media, but their own careers don't seem to have been dented at all. Or at least not enough for producers on Bake Off to question their invitation to Lucas to be a host. More recently, Ricky Gervais irked and hurt with a recent comedy special, once again on Netflix, in which he made a series of transphobic jokes. Again, the material is criticised, but the maker rarely endures lasting consequences. We see it with Carr, with Gervais, with Williams and Lucas. Yes, their reputation suffers. Yes, there are those that bristle with indignation. 
sometimes the offending joke will be removed. But in a way, isn't that working to the offender's advantage? So much of this cultural conversation that is now taking place here in Britain and across the world is to do with a perceived attack on freedom of speech. And this offends a breed of comedian, Ricky Gervais, Jimmy Carr and the like, who have made their impact by saying things that nobody else dare say. See Ricky Gervais at every Golden Globe ceremony he's hosted. This new standard of inclusivity and tact offends them, but also makes their material seem even more taboo. Here are the people who will say what nobody else would risk. So is cancel culture killing comedy? Alexandra Haddo, in an interview with Glamour following the Gervais scandal, made this point, quote, I think, in general, modern comedy is moving away from this. You're always going to get people who love controversial comedy, and comedy that's controversial for the sake of it is usually loved by people who just want a tribe to join. I quite often think these people don't actually believe or ascribe to the ideas behind it. They're the same people who go to a football match for the fight, not to watch the game, end quote. She points out that comedians often make jokes that they don't necessarily believe. They do it for the shock factor, and it usually gets a laugh. It seems with this new cancel, consequence, accountability culture, or whatever you want to call it, the taste for shock factor is waning. The public are catching on. Jimmy Carr doesn't seem like a hateful person. It's entirely possible, probable even, that he bears no ill will towards Roma or Sinti people beyond the two common stereotypes and prejudices that are directed to them by the British society at large. He's agreed not to repeat the joke and seems to have dodged the backlash by just pressing on. So why make the joke in the first place? He likely just saw an opportunity for a crass joke and took it, knowing it might rock the boat a little, but knowing it wouldn't be enough to push him overboard. This episode was written by Anton Ferry. This is a Broccoli Production. <laughs>